So Philemon 1 through 7. This is the word of God. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord, open your word faithfully to us this day. Let us hear your voice in your word for your glory, for our good, for our life transformation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here's the question, and this is the hard survey question. I've got a few people, so I can actually ask this now. So, you guys ever been caught up in the fad of so-called reality television? I'm hoping there's a whole lot of no's in here, by the way. You, know. you guys know what I'm talking about, though, right? They, they show us what they say are real people living real lives, even if they are strange situations. But the unfortunate mess about those shows, again, I'm going to guess none of you have actually watched them, but you probably know people who did. Um, but the unfortunate mess of, quote, reality shows is that they seldom, if ever, show you real life, Right? It is a group of overly dramatic people in contrived situations with edited responses. And you get the feeling, if you watch any reality TV, or if somebody in your family does, that, you know what? None of the people on these shows look like they could survive in real life. Right? They're emotional, they're whiny, they're melodramatic. You can't imagine them making it in the real world. But I would also say that it's kind of sad that there are people in the church who I think would have a hard time connecting life as a Christian with reality. There's a lot of people who think that they can go to church on a Sunday morning and then live their life for the rest of the week without any intrusion from the church. But if we're going to live Christianity in the real world, reality Christianity, if you will, we've got to live it together. You can't just attend a service one time in a week and think that you're going to survive the trials and the temptations of life. The Bible refers to the church as a lot of things, but one of the common labels for the, for the church is that we are the family of God. And if we want to survive real life, we've got to learn to live real life as the family of God. And I bet all of you guys know that life as a family is not always easy. Would you guys agree that that's true? Yeah, yeah. Um, family life requires you to be committed. Family life requires that you have to deal with people who are not perfect, which is really hard when you are, right? If you're the perfect one in the family, it's hard to deal with all those other people. But family life re- requires you to deal with people who are not perfect, who might get on your nerves from time to time. And this is no different whether it's in an earthly family or the family of God. It can be hard. It takes commitment. 
But Christians who are true Christians find ways to deal with life in the family of God, living as the family of God. And where would we look to learn about living real life in the family of God? There's a lot of places in the Bible you can look. But one of the places you don't see studied very often is this little letter we just read some of this morning, Paul's letter to Philemon. It's a small letter. It's only 25 verses long. We're going to find several places in there, several principles for how we are to live if we're going to survive as God's family living in the real world. So this morning, I want us to look at the beginning of this book. We're just going to look at the first seven verses. Next week, Lord willing, we will complete this book and we're going to have a whole lot of things that will help us to understand how to live together as the family of God, even with the flaws and the struggles that we all have. And you might say to me that this is a really strange time, Travis, to be talking about living as a family. I mean, we've been separated from each other primary, you know, for a couple months now. And I would say that's exactly why this is exactly the right time for us to start thinking about living as the family of God. Because the world is going to open back up. By the grace of God, we hope it's sooner rather than later, but by the grace of God, we are going to get to reconnect with each other. We are going to get to continue worshiping together. And as the world opens back up to us, we need to plan to go into this new season of life with our hearts fully set on us living out real life as the family of God. That's what we're here to do. We're supposed to be, so we're going to do our best to do it. So let's get started here with the first of three points you're going to write down. And if you're going to write stuff down in this one, make a little extra space for the first point because it's got a lot in it. But three points this morning. And here's what I want to urge you to do. I want to urge you, whether you're in your house watching on Facebook or listening to the podcast later, whatever it is, I urge you, think hard about how God wants you to change how you think and how you function so that you can live real life in the family of God. First point this morning, find your identity in Christ. Find your identity in Christ. Listen to verses one through three, the opening of the letter. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know there's a lot of talk today about identity. People identify as this or they identify as that. People fight over identity politics. Some people ask, where do you find your identity? And where much of our modern world can take us down a weird path talking identity, it is very important that we as Christians know what is our identity. And in these three verses, I'm going to show you six different labels for identity. So you're going to have room for six more things you can write down if you want to. And all six of the labels we see here will remind us that we have been given a brand new identity the moment we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, like many ancient letters, Paul's letter to Philemon opens by identifying the writer and the recipients. It's the greeting section, and it contains a blessing in it, which is usually there. And as we look at it here this morning, I want us not just to notice that there are several names here. I want to see especially the descriptions of the people. So, in the opening verse, 
we see it comes from Paul. And what does Paul call himself here? A prisoner for Christ Jesus. That's a fair thing for Paul to say about himself. Prisoner for Christ or of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul had indeed been put in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. It was at the end of his third missionary journey. It would have been around the year 61 AD. Paul would be about 60 or so. Um, by the way, remember that this, is, this letter that we're reading was probably written by Paul in prison at exactly the same time that he sent out the letters to, Colossian, to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. Um, we have reason to think that. We'll talk about that probably next week a little bit more. One thing to notice, by the way, the fact right away, Paul's a prisoner. If you live as a Christian in the real world, you are very likely to suffer persecution for your faith. Paul did. When he preached the gospel faithfully, what preaching earned him was a jail sentence. But Paul was undaunted. He kept going. He continued to teach boldly about Jesus to everybody who would listen. And at the end of the book of Philippians, we see that Paul had been instrumental in winning people to the faith who were also part of Caesar's household, which I think is just a stunning thing to read. If you think about the letters of Paul, Paul identifies himself with a lot of different words, right? Paul calls himself an apostle, which means somebody sent out by Jesus with authority. Sometimes Paul calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus or slave of Jesus. But in this letter, Paul, the identity that he makes clear to us is he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Not just any prisoner, prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul knew, and here's what I want you to start thinking about. Paul knew that his present circumstances, being a prisoner, were not outside of the hands and power of God. Instead, Paul's present suffering was a way for him to show that every single bit of his life belongs to Jesus. So here's the spot to start thinking, Christian. Do you battle and complain against your circumstances as if the Lord has put you in the wrong place? Do you think that you should have greater ownership of your life so that you choose your own situation. Absolutely, you should work and you should plan. You should strive to better your life. But don't think even for a minute that anything you're facing is outside of the sovereign decree of God. In whatever circumstance you find yourself, you should identify yourself as facing it for Christ to the glory of God. Of Jesus. So that first identity, you could say prisoner for Christ or whatever you are, whatever situation you're in, you're in it for Christ. That has to be your identity first and foremost, for Christ. Now notice the second identity that's here in our first point, second part. Paul says this letter is also from Timothy, our brother. Verse two, he says it's to Apphia, our sister. Neither Timothy nor Apphia are physically related to Paul. Timothy is of an entirely different cultural group than Paul. He's not a Jew like Paul was. But with this, we can see the relationship that is to be present in the lives of Christians. 
Once a person has come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord, they are immediately adopted by God into God's own family. And when that occurs, you become a family member with every other Christian in the world. So you need to regard every other believer as a part of you as a part of your own family. They're your kin because they have Jesus. If you have Jesus, you're a family member, you're a brother or sister with every other Christian. There is no room therefore for us to build up any barriers between ourselves and other Christians. We can't build up bar- barriers based on what our skin color is or what we think our social class is or how wealthy we are, how wealthy we're not, or how old we are, how young we are, our language or anything. We are part of one family, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's your second identity point, by the way, brother or sister in Christ. Paul says he wrote this letter along with Timothy to Philemon. Philemon was an important Christian in the city of Colossae. You guys have heard of Colossae because you've heard of the book of Colossians. We don't know a lot about Philemon, but he has to have been a person who had some wealth and a lot of faith in the Savior. Most scholars would tell you they believe that the Colossian church met in Philemon's house. So that would mean that Philemon has to have had enough money to have enough of a, a big enough property that the church for that city met in his home. And when Paul speaks about Philemon, though, look at the words that he uses to identify Philemon. He calls Philemon what? Fellow worker. Paul doesn't look at Philemon and say, oh, Philemon, the rich guy. He doesn't look at Philemon as more important or less important because of his money or because of his home. Paul doesn't make any issue out of Philemon's status. What he knows about Philemon is that Philemon is the kind of man who stands shoulder to shoulder with Paul, taking action and making strides forward with the gospel in a hard world. Friends, we're not just family members. We are called to work together for the name of Jesus. We are to work to make disciples who make disciples who change the world for Jesus. That is your job. That's my job. So the question is, not only do you, should you, do you identify as whatever state you're in, do you, are you in it for Jesus? Do you identify as a brother or sister of other Christians because of Jesus? But are you, do you identify yourself, I am a worker for Jesus? The, app, the, the letter is also addressed here. It says to Apphia, our sister. She was a Christian woman, maybe Philemon's wife. And Archippus, who might be uh, Philemon's son. A lot of people think it's his grown son. Maybe he's just another man in the church. We don't know that for sure. But Paul calls Archippus fellow soldier. There's another identity we wear, fellow soldier. You are not Christian a civilian who is here to muddle through this world for your own pleasures and your own purposes. We are part of the army of the Lord. We are soldiers. We have a commanding officer who has given us orders. Do you remember the the commanding officer's order? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Right? 
We are commanded to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We are commanded to grow together in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are commanded to change the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. Soldiers, if you think about soldiers, you know soldiers don't have time to play around with things that don't matter. Soldiers kit up and they march. They live on mission and we are soldiers for the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul also sends greetings to the church that meets in Philemon's home. It's the church at Colossae. And that is another identity for us. What are some identities you've seen? Whatever you are, you're it for Christ. You are a brother or sister in Christ. You are fellow workers in Christ. You are soldiers in Christ. Now, here's the one for you. Church. Identity. Your identity is church. The Greek word for church is, is the word ekklesia. And it literally means called out. It's a combination of two words. Kaleo, which means to call, uh, to call, to cry. And ek means out of, to call out. So if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you are ecclesia. You are a people called out of the world to unite in Jesus' service and to unite in Jesus' worship. Every Christian is a part of the global church by, just by the fact that we're saved. And every Christian should be united intentionally with a local congregation, with a local church. You should be a church member for the sake of, of mutual encouragement, mutual fellowship, mutual obedience to your master. So the question, again, do you consider yourself, when you think of yourself, when you think of your identity, do you realize that your identity is church? The church is not a building or a place you go to. The church is the united people of God. And then think about how wonderful it is that the church met in Philemon's home. Isn't that cool? All of our homes, whether a church meets in your house or not, all of our homes are to be tools for the Lord's service. Your home is not your own. Your home is on loan to you from God. Closing your door behind you does not give you the freedom to stop living as a Christian or living as the family of God. You must, if you're going to be faithful to the Lord, you must make your home a place in which you continue to live for Him and you continue to serve Him. I want to think for a little bit about that. What do you do in your home? How do you treat your family members in your home? Your home doesn't keep you out of the sight of God. How do you talk to people in your home? How do you talk about other people in your home? What do you watch on TV or Netflix in your home? What, do you, what internet sites do you visit? What books do you read in your home? Your home is to be a place of worship. And it is, by the way. No matter what, your home is a place of worship. The question is, what do you worship? Because what you worship in your home might not be the Lord. So take a look at your own life and examine yourself and ask, God, what do I need to change in my home so it uh, so it can be a place where I honor you.
What do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? You know, I understand, by the way, that not every person has control of everything in their house. I know that. But you know what you do have control of? Every one of us has a part of the home that is under our care, right? Even my youngest children have parts of their own rooms that are theirs. And you can make a choice to make sure that every part of your life shows that your home belongs to the Lord. Then Paul greets this group here by saying to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I would call this an identity of being a recipient of grace and peace. This is so nice of Paul. Blessings. What does it mean though? Grace to you and peace. Paul calls for the grace of God to be upon them. Grace is unearned favor from God. Goodness from God you didn't earn. And every Christian has received grace. At times when we ask for the grace of God to be upon somebody, we're asking, oh God, please reach down and save that person. Give them your grace. But since we know that Paul's writing this letter to Christians, he's probably not saying, I want you guys to be saved. Instead, Paul's asking that the group would continue to receive favor, receive goodness from God. Peace, on the other hand, is the tranquility of soul that comes when there is no conflict present. We should always be praying for peace between nations, between individuals. Paul here is praying that in the case of Philemon and in his household, God would give them peace with himself and with each other. That's going to be really important when we study the, the latter part of this letter. Now, why grace and peace? Why does Paul keep writing that? Well, one thing you can say is this. You cannot have peace with God without God's grace. If you want to be in a right relationship with God, if you want to be at peace with God, God must first have given you grace. All people, every human being has a nature of sin. All human beings have done evil before the Lord. I have, you have, everybody has. God is perfect and God's wrath against sin is infinite. But Jesus, God in the flesh, died as a sacrifice to pacify that wrath, taking it on himself so that sinful men could be rescued. And Jesus offers the grace of God freely to all. So when we receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we then have peace with God because the wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus. You want to know how to cry out to Jesus so that you can have salvation? First, believe in God just as God has revealed himself in the Bible. Believe that you have fallen short of God's holy standard and and confess it to God. Tell God, God, I know I'm a sinner. Believe that Jesus died to pay the price for your sins. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Believe that Jesus is willing to forgive you. Make a decision that says, I don't want to be trying to run my life and rule my life myself by my standards, but decide that you would rather follow God and God's ways. And then ask Jesus, Jesus, please, because of what you've done, save me. Be my Lord, be my master, be my savior. Trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for life and you will be forgiven. And once you've been forgiven, once you've become a genuine follower of Jesus, a Christian, then you can continue to receive the grace of God in the form of the blessings of God. Even as Christians, though we don't earn God's favor, 
God grants us blessing upon blessing out of his goodness. So we have God's grace and we have it abundantly. And we have peace, not only with peace with God, but we can live in peace with one another to the glory of God. And in fact, if we're going to live as God's followers, we must learn to live at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul blesses the recipients of this letter. He pronounces grace and peace on them. And I would just say, every time you see blessings like that in the Bible, remember that it's a reminder that God wants you to be blessing and speaking blessing and bringing blessing to other Christians too. Now, these opening verses, and this is the big chunk I know, it's a beautiful greeting, but it challenges us to reconsider our identity. What are you? Christian, it's vital that you think of yourself and other believers too with the identities that you see in this section. Stop again. Listen and ask yourself these two questions, okay? Ask, one, do I see myself with these godly identities? Two, do I see my fellow Christians with these identities? Do you see yourself this way? Do you see others this way? What are the identities? Paul identifies himself and others as prisoner for Christ Jesus. Do you see that what you are, you are for Jesus? He identifies us as brothers and sisters, fellow worker, fellow soldier, church, recipient of grace and peace. Let me ask you, how much different do you think your life would be if you always thought of yourself and other Christians in terms like this? Maybe you're not in prison, but whatever state you're in, you're there for Jesus Christ. You are a brother or sister to everyone who's in Christ if you're a Christian. You are a fellow worker, a fellow soldier with others for Christ. You are part of the church called out of the world for Christ. If you have Jesus, you are a recipient of God's grace and peace. Think about those things. And those identities do something to you. They remind you that your life is not your own. They remind you that you are part of the church, not allowed to live for yourself only. They remind you that the people who get on your nerves from time to time, they're still in your family. And they're worth your love. I urge you to think this through. Consider what identity you need to work on more. And find your identity in Christ. Now, finally, point number two. You guys can decide, by the way, if it's fair for me to call this point two after I've just given you six things, but that's, that's up to you guys. Point number two, thank God and pray for other believers. This will be faster, by the way. Thank God and pray for other believers. Look at verses four and five. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord um, excuse me, toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Two things that are evident in verse four that we see that we need to do as a church if we're going to live like a family. First, Paul thanks God for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now that sounds super simple, doesn't it? Thank God for other believers. Of course I'm supposed to thank God for the other believers. But how seldom do we do it? Paul is constantly thanking the Lord for other members of God's family. And Paul says that he is constantly praying for the saints. 
not only is he thanking God for them, he's praying for them. Again, simple thing. Remember, we've been granted access to the God of all the universe, and at any time we want, we may lift up requests to God. At any time, in any place, we can pray to God. We've been given access by Jesus to the Father's throne, and we must take advantage of it. We must take time lifting up brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. Here's a question for you. Have you ever noticed that many churches out there I'm sure not the church that you are a part of, but other churches, many churches, sometimes find themselves struggling with issues of conflict. You ever notice that? Many churches find that their love for each other grows cold. Listen, if we would take the time to give thanks for one another and to pray for each other, I guarantee you the amount of conflict in the local church would decrease dramatically while the fellowship would increase. God has given us access to put requests before his throne for a reason, and the reason is not just for you and it's not just for me. We are to take time to lift up each other in prayer. So here's a challenge for you this week. Each of you, Take a couple of minutes this week, every day, just to pray. And during your prayer time, I want to ask you, give thanks for and pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ here in our little church. If you know somebody who's struggling, pray for them. If you know somebody who's doing well, give thanks for that and pray for them. If somebody encourages you, pray for God's blessing on them. If somebody hurts your feelings, Pray that God will help them to grow. Be a faithful family member and take your relationship with Christ into the real world. Do it by praying for each other. Do it by giving thanks for each other. Well, faith in Jesus, love for one another, that's cause for celebration. And verse 5 tells us why Paul is so thankful to have brothers and sisters like the people in this letter. These people, he says, have a true faith in Jesus. They have a true love for one another. These people are living out their faith in the real world. And now I want you to see what Paul's prayer is for them. And this is going to be our third point for this morning. Number three, be devoted to fellowship. Be devoted to fellowship. Look at verses six and seven. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So now we see Paul's specific prayer for Philemon and why he prays it. He prays that the sharing of their faith may be effective. Now, if for you to get the meaning here, you'd kind of do want to know the word behind the word for sharing. The word behind the word sharing of your faith in, in sharing there, if you have a different translation, it will, it'll translate it slightly differently because this is a hard verse to translate. The word behind sharing is the word koinonia, which is the Greek word for fellowship. So you could very legitimately translate this verse as well. I pray that the fellowship of your faith Sharing is exactly right, because fellowship is the sharing of life. But I pray that your fellowship 
is going to be active. So you need to understand this is not Paul telling Philemon, I want you to be a passionate evangelist by sharing your faith. Now, you should be an evangelist. You should share the good news of Jesus with other people. But what Paul's talking about here, what Paul's saying here is that the that their fellowship together, that they're living out of genuine Christianity together, that they're communicating to one another about their faith, that that would be active and fruitful and effective. Paul says, as each of them shares their knowledge of the good things they have because of Christ, each of them will be encouraged and set to new Christian growth. Paul must their fellowship, again, he says, to be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And I don't want you to let this pass you by either. We live in this world and we should be living in active, intentional, almost aggressive fellowship with one another. We, if we do that, we will, Paul says, grow in our knowledge. Because Christian, you want to know every good thing that is in us because of or for the sake of Christ. You want to know Jesus. You want to know his blessings more. You want to love the Lord more. And Paul is showing us right here that the way it happens is when you love and actively fellowship with each other more. Now, why does he pray it? He says it's because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through Philemon. Paul says, you guys, you guys share life with each other and you refresh each other's hearts. You know, I can think of a few times in my Christian life when I've really, really felt blessed. And almost every one of the times that I can say, man, I really, really felt blessed, it's when I realized I was spending time with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I can think of times in life when just some evening we've just gathered, we've talked, and we just find ourselves rejoicing, really having a great time thinking about the good things of God. Sometimes you're just in somebody's house and... and just talk about the truth of the scriptures and you talk about what the Lord has done. And those things are effective. Those nights are effective as they, reflect, as they refresh the hearts of the saints. Believers come away from time spent together, challenged and refreshed and encouraged and renewed if their time spent together is focused on the Lord and his word. You know, I don't know if you've ever had this happen or not, but it's special. Have you ever had friends that you've just sat around and all of a sudden you start talking about the things of God and it just is sweet? Maybe you've thought you're just going to dinner at somebody's house and it sort of spontaneously comes out as a time of praise, a time of prayer, a time of just talking about the deep things of God. Or maybe you've gone to have coffee with somebody and all of a sudden a Bible study breaks out and you didn't even plan for it. Those are good things. And if those things have ever happened to you, you don't forget them. They're special. True Christian living, true Christians who live out their faith will make it a point to have fellowship with other believers. Let me say that again. True Christians who live out their faith make it a point, make it a priority to have fellowship with other believers. You're drawn to one another. As a believer, you should do your very best to seek out friends Genuine friendship and genuine fellowship with other believers so that your soul is refreshed and you can refresh their hearts. Let me ask you, how important do you think that principle really is? How important is fellowship? How important is togetherness in the church? How important is it that we do these things other than just going to some auditorium on a Sunday morning? 
I want to read you just a few commands in the New Testament. Don't try to write them down because I'll read them too quickly, but I promise I'll put them on our Facebook page, okay? So you can get the list on the Facebook page. And I know you can find our Facebook page because you're watching this. Here are a few verses, a few commands in Scripture. John 13, verse 14, Jesus says, Wash one another's feet, which is an act of so, humble service. John 13, 34, Love one another. Romans 12, 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12, 16, Live in harmony with one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Have equal concern for each other. Galatians 6, 2, Carry each other's burdens. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Colossians 3 verse 9 Do not lie to each other. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 Love each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Encourage each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Encourage each other. Build one another up. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 Live in peace with each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 Be kind to each other. Hebrews 13 verse 1 Keep on loving each other as brothers. James 5 verse 9 Do not grumble against each other. James 5.16 Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. 1 Peter 4.8, love each other deeply. 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another. That was a little list of 23 commands. And there are more like these in the New Testament. But I think you can see clearly, you cannot follow Jesus alone. Because you can't obey those commands alone. We are commanded to do these things, and it means we are commanded to be with one another. There is no way you can serve one another or bear one another's burdens if you are not living in fellowship with one another. So, ladies and gentlemen, fellowship, refreshing the hearts of the saints, is a vital part of living life as the family of God in the real world. And if you don't do it, you're missing out on a major part of Christianity. So it's time to begin to ask yourself, just thinking about the little church we have here in Las Vegas, how can I refresh the hearts of other believers? How do I already do it? How can I start doing it? And I want you to really let yourself ponder this. Be practical about this. What do you do to encourage, to build up, to comfort or help others? Think about this, by the way, more than in a time of crisis. Oh, I help when somebody's world's blowing up. Good, you should. But what about day to day? What about week to week? Whom do you call? Whom do you text? Whom do you make sure that they're doing okay? Whose burden do you lift? And as we get ready for the world to open back up, because I do believe it's coming soon, how are we going to jump in and make these things happen more and more? See, this is why now is the time. Right now, you've been put on pause. Right now is time for you to start thinking about how will I get in the lives of others. And by the way, I don't speak to you about this lightly. I understand that for some of you, this is super hard. 
it's hard for some to find Christian friends. And what I want to say to you is this. Get to work. Many people don't have Christian friends because they have never worked at having Christian friends. Many people are upset because nobody has come and befriended them. And what I'm challenging you to do is to look at this another way. It is your job to make friends in the church. You might need to walk up to somebody you don't know very well and say, hey, I'd like the chance to get to know you and your family. Men especially, right? Men, reach out to other men in the church. Say, hey, let's go get coffee or let's go on a hike. I don't know you. I want to figure you out. Ladies, reach out to another Christian lady and ask her to go do whatever ladies do. I'm not an expert here. It's not my thing, but you guys know. Families, connect to other families. Make it a priority. I challenge you right now, even from a distance, start doing what you should do to make the family of God your reality. That means you might need to make a phone call or participate in the Zoom group or send somebody a text or go on a picnic, get up the mountain where you can, if you, if you need to be socially distant from one another, then by all means, do it, be safe, but spend time, you can do it. And when we are back together, don't take fellowship for granted. You can live as a family, but in order to do that, it's going to take work. Again, I know for some folks, the, this, the current season, you've got to stay in. You've got to stay super protected. Praise God. I get it. You can still reach out to people. You can still talk to people. You can still get your face on a computer in front of people. Do your best. You can live in fellowship, but it, it takes work from all of us. You've got to see yourself and your fellow Christians with identities that match what we see in the Word of God. Brother and sister, fellow worker, fellow soldier, church. You need to be giving thanks for and praying for other people in the body. You need to be loving each other. You need to be praying for each other. You need to be spending time with each other. And you need to work and say, God, I want to refresh the hearts of the saints. If you're going to live Christianity in the real world, true fellowship, godly fellowship, that's not an option, folks. It is a biblically required necessity. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for your holy word. You are good, and you've given us a good, hard challenge. Would you help us to be people who refresh each other's souls. From a distance, as long as it has to be from a distance, taking it deeply seriously once we've gathered together. Help our church to be people who look like these people, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, friend to friend, brother to brother, sister to sister, pushing forward the gospel for the glory of Almighty God. God, I pray you do great things in us in Christ's holy name. Amen.